There is a town in Pasco County with a familiar name, St. Joseph. It's actually not even a town, it's unincorporated, an offshoot of the nearby city of San Antonio, Florida. San Antonio was originally developed by a man named Judge Edmund F. Dunn. He was indeed a judge, and he was also a Catholic, and after spending years in the western parts of the United States during the 1800s, he established a Catholic settlement in western Florida. Its name, San Antonio, is for famous Portuguese Saint, Saint Anthony of Padua. According to an article in the Tampa Tribune from 1988, the town of St. Joseph, quote, was first settled in 1883 by Bernard A. Bartle. His two brothers and father soon followed, leaving their home in St. Joseph, Minnesota, to come to the land of sunshine and opportunity. The community was first called Bartle Settlement and Bartle Crossing. In 1888, it became known as St. Joseph after the original settlers' hometown. End quote. St. Joseph, Minnesota is smack dab in the middle of that state, just about 1,600 miles away from St. Joseph, Florida. But this town's origins are not why I'm telling you about it today. I'm telling you about it because St. Joseph, a small, unincorporated community near Dade City, Florida, has become known as the kumquat capital of the world. Can you picture in your mind a kumquat? K-U-M-Q-U-A-T. A kumquat. Can you even imagine what a kumquat looks like? When I started writing this story, I could not. Turns out that they are a strange little fruit ovular and orange and small. They are native to China and other parts of Asia where they have grown for millennia. But did you know that the kumquat is a citrus fruit? It's orange, as I mentioned. In China, they are used in various cuisines and prepared in various ways, just like oranges and lemons and limes and grapefruits. They're a versatile fruit. But here's the freaky thing. They do not have a rind, I think. I have seen people describe kumquats as both rindless as in they're just sort of a, a fruit that you can just access without having to peel anything but i've also seen them described as having a rind like an orange or a lime i don't really know all i know is that they are orange and bitter and i can't seem to find them anywhere which is weird if the capital of kumquat growth is in florida anyway the New York Times once described the kumquat as, quote, the size and shape of a large olive. The kumquat is like an orange in reverse with a sweet skin and tart pulp, end quote. I'll have to take their word for it. I've never had a kumquat and it seems like I never will. I tried. I really did, but couldn't find any. I'll keep searching to see if I can have one, but despite their presence in Florida's farming, apparently, despite Florida having a town that is the kumquat capital of the world, I have never seen one in real life, and I've lived here for a quarter century. There is a kumquat festival, actually out in Dade City, near where St. Joseph is, akin to the Plant City Strawberry Festival, celebrating their unique fruit. I guess I'm going to have to go there. The kumquat does get its praise in Florida. It has its place, just maybe not the way our other citrus fruits do. Which is exactly why I'm telling you about the kumquat today. The kumquat has never been on my mind, never a Floridian staple by any means, but their quiet presence in Florida actually garnered them a whole other type of celebration, not a festival like the one in Dade City, a title connected to one of the most unique parties that Orlando, my hometown, has ever seen. Back in the 80s and 90s in Orlando, Florida, the humble kumquat finally got its due. 
I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. Today I'm telling you a weird little story about the Queen Kumquat Sachet, a unique parade that is quintessentially Orlando in spirit. It's a bizarre tale you're going to have to hear to believe, and even though the Queen Kumquat Sachet Parade is long gone, maybe this show can bring back some of its ethos. Maybe. We'll see. Before we get into the episode, I have to give a massive thank you to my friend, Melissa Procco. Melissa has helped me with this podcast for nearly three years, ever since she helped me make an episode about Orlando's iconic taxidermied swan, Billy the Swan. She's been at the Orange County Regional History Center all that time and has aided in gathering archival research for half a dozen episodes now, including this one. Truly, some of my favorite episodes of this show would not exist without Melissa. She has left the History Center now onto other ventures, but I just have to say a massive thank you to her for all of her help, guidance, and conversation over the last three years of work. She has been in my holiday episodes, she has informed so much of these Orlando episodes, and they would not be the way they are without her. So thank you to Melissa. This isn't my last work with the History Center, but I couldn't let this one episode go by without giving loads of gratitude. This is the last episode she helped me research. This show wouldn't have grown without her. Actually, it's the History Center that first brought me to this story. They posted about the Queen Kumquat Sachet Parade on their social media, and there was an article in Reflections, a magazine that is produced by the Historical Society of Central Florida. There was an article about this parade written for Reflections by Whitney Broadway, who was once the collections manager for the History Center. Her article in Reflections and the articles that Melissa gathered for me are the main sources for this, so... Thank you to the History Center, and thank you one last time to Melissa. So let's get into it. Queen Kumquat Sachet, a bizarre trio of words, and I promise you, by the end of this episode, they probably won't make more sense than they do to you right now. It all begins in 1986 with a famous writer in Orlando culture. His name is Bob Morris. For many years, Bob Morris was a columnist for the Orlando Sentinel, writing about and often skewering important parts of our culture, our day-to-day life in Central Florida, and the figures that make up our ecosystem. Bob was renowned for what would now be called hot takes, ones that excited people and irritated others. A profile in him from the Orlando Weekly from 2005, written by Lindy T. Shepard, says this about Bob Morris, quote, He was a rogue and a rambler and played loose with deadlines. Being clever as hell and full of irreverent fun was Morris's highly marketable stock in trade, and Sentinel management never could figure out how to harness it. End quote. He was a character and one who had a clear impact on both his readers and his employers. He left the paper, the Orlando Sentinel, in the 90s. In that same profile from the Orlando Weekly, they detail why. They say, quote, By January 1994, Morris and editor John Hale were increasingly at odds. Some of Morris's columns were pulled over content that could possibly draw complaints, and he says Hale didn't like his extracurricular money-making activities, including a gig as the anonymous radio voice in Scotty's hardware commercials, end quote. Like I said, Bob was a character, and needless to say, the drama of how he left the paper extends far beyond the controversial columns and interpersonal drama. Perhaps that's a story for another day, but this Orlando Weekly profile goes even more in-depth, so if you want to give that a read, I've linked it in the bio. It's very interesting. Bob Morris's impact on Florida extends beyond the Queen Kumquat sachet, but that is the chapter of his life we're talking about today. 
Before his falling out and eventual departure from the Sentinel in 1994, Bob's columns led him to developing status in the city. One such column, the one that brought us here today, was published on January 17, 1986. It began a special legacy, special adventure for Bob. The headline reads as follows, quote, When parades aloof, it's time for a spoof, end quote. Now that's my kind of headline. The article takes aim at an Orlando staple, a recurring event in our city that has existed in many forms for the last several decades, the Citrus Bowl. It's a college football event that is hosted every year, held in what is now called Camping World Stadium here in Orlando. It's akin to the Rose Bowl in California or the Orange Bowl in Miami, but even now, the Citrus Bowl has never reached the height of fanfare and popularity that those other bowls achieve. They are part of the bowl competition that is all the ending of college football. I'm not a big college football guy, so I don't fully understand the bowl system. I have people who are college football fans in my life, and even they don't really understand the bowl system. It seems to be a bit too complicated, but the Citrus Bowl is one of those bowl games. You get it. But either way, the Citrus Bowl is an event for Orlando, but According to Bob, it has never really risen to the imports that the other bowls did, and it certainly wasn't doing that in 1986. Here's what Bob Morris has to say at the time, quote, If the Citrus Bowl truly desires to share a level of greatness with, say, the Rose and Orange Bowls, it needs an extra added ingredient that those bowls share. It needs to romance Orlando. It needs an event that would inject a much-needed dose of levity and fun. It needs a counter-Citrus Bowl parade. End quote. That is the seed of what would come next. But before we go on, let's talk about how the Citrus Bowl came to Orlando. It started as the Tangerine Bowl in 1947, just after the Second World War. That makes it the seventh oldest of all the college football bowl games. According to the Citrus Bowl's website, quote, the initial game sponsors, members of Elks Lodge number 1079 of Orlando, each put $100 to fund initial expenses, end quote. Starting small. It grew over the years. It has had some Division II or Division III colleges that have competed in their finals at the Tangerine Bowl. In 1983, however, just a few years before Bill wrote his op-ed, the Tangerine Bowl was renamed the Florida Citrus Bowl thanks to a million-dollar partnership with with who else but the Florida Citrus Commission. Times were getting tough for the citrus industry in Florida. Freezes throughout the decade beginning in 1981 kept severely impacting the growth of citrus and other means of getting oranges were affecting their numbers. This partnership could theoretically increase the sales of citrus by just generally reminding the nation that Florida's citrus was valuable. And perhaps most important to our story today is that there was the Florida Citrus Parade, a local parade celebrating the economy and culture for the television audience before the actual game started. But some were starting to think that the Citrus Bowl Parade didn't have the effect that it should. Whitney Broadway's article, the one about the Queen Kumquat Sachet, says, quote, The Citrus Bowl Parade had become geared toward television and corporate sponsors and no longer reflected the community. End quote. So how can we have something maybe connected to the Citrus Bowl that does reflect the community that is indicative of who we are as a people? What Bob Morris is suggesting in his op-ed is not only is the Citrus Bowl and the Citrus Bowl Parade not a big enough deal for the country, but also it's not a big enough deal for the city itself. It doesn't matter to the city's residents. 
he suggests copying a move that the city of Miami had done. They are the host, of course, of the Orange Bowl, and apparently there was what's called a counter-parade around the time of the Orange Bowl. The counter-parade in Miami was called the King Mango Strut. Here's a quote from its founder, Glenn Terry. It's cited by Bob Morris in his article. Quote, the whole thing got started from a feeling that the Orange Bowl parade had become too commercial and geared more to a TV audience than what the local people really wanted. End quote. These two men are clearly aligned in their beliefs that these big parades that are for these big football games, they're, they're not really reflective of the community. So Glenn started the King Mango Strut in Miami. Bob lists off some of the qualities of the Mango Strut Parade, including bizarre floats, unique characters, and unusual performances. Basically, they made the Mango Strut into a weird show, a, a, a performance of weirdos, the local flavor of town, the, the people that make us unique. And then Bob suggests, let's do that in Orlando and maybe let's copy what Miami's parade is called. Miami, their parade, is called the King Mango Strut. Then Orlando shall be home to the... Queen Kumquat Sachet. Got it? He says that in Miami, when they're organizing, they would meet up at a bar to chat. Bob pitches the idea in almost a half-serious way. I think he means it, but I think he's kind of put in like a, I don't know, maybe if you guys want to, you can, maybe we can do this. I think this sounds kind of fun, but I, I think he kind of did want to do it, and, and that's why it comes true. He suggests, let's create the Queen Kumquat Sachet. Not really, unless you guys really want to, maybe. He ends the op-ed, this first one that suggests the idea, saying, quote, Get in touch. I'll buy the first round. End quote. Little did he know what would grow from that one op-ed. Eight months would pass in the city beautiful, and clearly some people liked the idea. According to the article in Reflections by Whitney Broadway, it was picked up by a woman named Elizabeth Kurz. This is from Whitney's article, quote, Orlando was abuzz with the idea, and Elizabeth Kurz, an aide to Mayor Bill Frederick, saw the potential of such a parade to help solve one of the city's problems, getting more people to downtown Orlando at night. End quote. Problem? Meet solution. In a column on September 21st, 1986, Bob says that in the week previous, a meeting had been held to start organizing the kumquat. He says they racked up a bar tab of $334. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. He then refers to himself as, no joke, the head quat. Shortening of kumquat. He's the head quat. He describes the purpose of the Queen Kumquat Sachet Parade as follows, quote, to provide a fitting counterpart to the Citrus Bowl Parade by exalting the lowliest member of the Citrus family and creating an atmosphere of fun, foolishness, and out-and-out -out weirdness not heretofore seen in these parts, end quote. Now, out-and-out -out weirdness is what I'm all about, and you'll see how out-and-out -out weird it gets. Apparently at this meeting, Bob pitched the parade for November 8th of the year, less than two months away from the meeting. When the speed of planning was mentioned as a problem, it was far too close to this mid-September meeting they were having. Bob said, quote, if it took longer than that to plan, then it wouldn't be worth having, end quote. November 8th, by the way, wasn't just a random night. It was also supposed to be the night of Light Up Orlando. It was going to coincide with that event. Elizabeth Kurz was actually the one who suggested aligning these two events. Queen Kumquat Sachet could lead right into Light Up Orlando, a double header of Orlando parties. A few ideas were pitched of what would make up the parade. He suggests a couple of items, including, quote, honorary parade marshals. Anyone with the first or last name of marshal can be an honorary parade marshal, 
end quote. He also suggests the Grits Brigade, quote, featuring a marching box O'Grits and a human bowl O'Grits and led by a tuba player, end quote. <laughs> Here's, here's a good one. He suggested, quote, people who think they look like famous people, end quote. Anyway, the ideas were flowing. People really liked what was going on here, but, you know, there has to be some edits. All great creatives can never go fully unhinged. A few of these pitches were made, but a few qualifications needed to be met. One of them is that it had to be clean. The event was going to be for everyone, including kids, so it couldn't get too nasty out there in the streets of Orlando, but I'll tell you, I've read a few accounts that some local strip clubs got involved, so imagine what that looks like. So I can imagine that it wasn't a perfectly clean parade, but the intention was certainly to keep it keep it PG at most. Bob put out a call. Quote, Prospective sashayers will be judged on wholesomeness, mischievousness, preposterousness, lightheartedness, and other nesses as deemed necessary. End quote. And boy, did Orlando follow that edict. The day finally came about as pieces started to fit into place. Bob put out a column on November 7th of 1986, the last day before the actual parade was to be held. It included several steps that led to you, the reader, being inducted into the rite of kumquat. But most importantly, it tells you where the parade would be. It would begin at 441 in honor of 441, the road number of Orange Blossom Trail, a major road here in Orlando. It would begin at the corner of Jefferson Street and Orange Avenue. And according to Whitney Broadway, Bob didn't think anyone would show up. He thought it would just be fun for those people who marched and no one would be waving from the curbs. That first year, however, 30,000 people showed up. It was a sensation. And as the years passed and the parade kept changing and growing, it didn't slow down. Quote, the Sentinel would cover the bill for arranging police protection and every year the Orlando Police Department liaison would ask Morris how many people he expected to attend. And every year Morris would say, this might be a slow year, maybe a couple thousand. Couple thousand, the liaison would exclaim. Bob, you had more than 40,000 people there last year. End quote. According to Whitney Broadway, quote, over the years, the crowd at the sachet was often larger than the actual Citrus Bowl parade. End quote. Over the following decades, the sachet would remain a staple and continue to bring out the weirdos of the world to celebrate their weirdness together. Okay, now here's the moment I'm most excited for. I'm going to tell you about many of the events that appeared, that the reason I wanted to tell you this episode was because of the hilarious groups. You already heard a couple of the suggestions that Bob put up, but the ones that actually showed up are even better than that. No matter how bizarre you are imagining these floats and attractions were, you are not thinking bizarre enough. I'm about to read to you a collection of some of the strange attractions in the parades over the years. They're collected from Broadway's article, from Bob's columns, and from other accounts, because, trust me, some incredible things happened in the streets of downtown Orlando in that decade. Here we go. First and foremost, quote, The first Grand Marshal was Longfellow the Cockroach, mounted on a board, a 2.4-inch Madagascar hissing cockroach that was the winner of Morris's largest cockroach contest, announced in the Sentinel, end quote told you it was weird. Quote, some memorable sachets include Donald Holm, the world's greatest accordionist who led every sachet playing silly songs, end quote. I don't think there's a better instrument for a party than an accordion. There was also, quote, the world's worst marching band, actually a group of very talented Walt Disney World musicians who would play all the Disney songs off tune, end quote. 
if they were intending to capture the spirit of Orlando, I think that one is a bullseye. Up next is probably my favorite attraction in the parade, quote, a group of men in normal clothing with a sign reading, just some guys who always wanted to be in a parade, end quote. <laughs> just some guys. <laughs> it's really funny. An article that... <laughs> An article that Bob wrote in 1993 uh, lists a few more uh, that were supposed to be in the 1993 parade, which was actually the last one. There's a man who was trying to make it to the 1994 Winter Olympics as a speed skater, quote, even though he is a Floridian and has never skated competitively on ice, end quote. That man was the Grand Marshal of the parade in 1993. That's, that's pretty good. Bob lists a few extras in this article. Quote, there are new entries this year, like Witch Doctors for National Healthcare, Bill Clinton's Other Half-Relatives, end quote. And of course, quote, a group called The Gods Must Be Crazy that feature various familiar deities, such as Godzilla, Lady Godiva, and the Goddess of Lost Socks, end quote. Some years also had junior kazoo bands, and some years had men roaming the streets on tricycles. I, I'm just obsessed. I'm just completely in love with how many of these goofy puns and jokes. And I don't know if I don't know if any of you listeners read a lot of Carl Hyacin, but some of these are just straight up Carl Hyacin jokes. Man, they are so ridiculous and funny. And of course, Bob was involved in the parade. It's not like he just set it up. Oh my God, I just found another one. I'm so sorry. There's another one. According to an article from 1990, there was a group that was called People Who Have Seen Elvis Recently. God, that's funny. That's so good. That's so good. There was also somebody named Captain Eola, quote, riding roller skates with a spouting model of the Lake Eola fountain on his head and leading the Lamar Hotel marching transients, end quote. I'm telling you, people just took this as a chance to let all of their weirdsies out. I'm looking at photos from this article that include people just walking down the street carrying paintings. There is a photo from one of the articles of the guys who just wanted to be in a parade, and I love them. They're having such a good day. And of course, Bob himself was, as I mentioned, involved in the parade. He was usually not the Grand Marshal, but he was handing out kumquats and he ordered people that when he handed out kumquats they had to throw it back because who wants a kumquat <laughs> isn't that great and there was of course the queen kumquat sachet this is a quote from the reflections quote what would the queen kumquat sachet be without a queen any woman drag queens included with red hair in honor of the glorious kumquat had a chance if they stood on the corner of concord street and magnolia avenue where the parade began end quote apparently Bob Morris would just pick someone and they would become the queen of the kumquat parade. Isn't that great? But of course it was not meant to last. As I told you, the first parade was in 86 and the last one, as far as I can tell was in 1993. It makes me a little sad that it's over. It makes me a little sad that I never got to witness it with my own two eyes. It was ended three years before I was even born one of the things I still love about Orlando is how much the people of this city embrace its unique culture, our weird eccentricities, the strangeness of the people here. We still celebrate it. It's still part of who we are, but I just feel like the Queen Kumquat Sachet did better than I think any of us could imagine at celebrating the unique quality of our city. We aren't like the others. We are our own weird little thing. And I think that Bob had that right. 
I can imagine that Bob wishes in his own way that it still was around. I don't have a a solution. I'm not a big enough personality to organize a new Queen Kumquat sachet as much as, God help me, I would love that. But I just think that there is something to be learned in celebrating our weirdness. You know, I, I was just at Sanibel Island and I talked to some people from out of state and people love to make Florida jokes. They love to pick on us and talk about our weirdness and the strange things that happen to our state. And I spend a lot of time on this show trying to combat that stereotype as best as I can. Yes, we're weird, but that doesn't mean you should just write us off as the weird state, the one you can just ignore. But at the same time, denying the fact that we are as bizarre of a place as we are is just wrong. We are weird. And the Queen Kumquat Sachet made that weirdness something to be proud of, something to strut down the streets of your town waving that freak flag. (laughs) And I want to do more of that. I want Orlando to be more like that, and I want us to celebrate all of the things that make us, us. So whether or not we can bring back a Queen Kumquat Sachet parade, we can live the Kumquat philosophy every day, I think. Live as the noble kumquat does. And that is exactly what Bob Morris talked about in his column on November 7th, 1986, the day before the parade. Here is what he says about how the kumquat can offer the people of Florida a lesson. Quote, Does the kumquat grow larger than it rightly should? Does its reach exceed its grasp? Does it strain its capabilities? No. The kumquat knows it can offer something, but understands it cannot offer everything. Any smaller and it would not be noteworthy, any bigger and it would be a nuisance. It is just right. Yea, verily I say unto you, the kumquat knows its limit and respects it. Is this a parable that Florida can stand to learn from or what? End quote. I don't know about you, but I hate to disagree with Bob on this. Florida can far exceed its expectations. We do so every day. But maybe we need something as simple and bizarre as the kumquat to occasionally bring us down to earth and remind us that our weirdness is what makes us work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here to celebrate this bizarre little story with me. I hope you were having a wonderful summer. Thank you again to Melissa Procco and the Orange County Regional History Center for your help. Melissa has been essential to this show's growth. I don't know what I would do without her help. So thank you one last time to Melissa. I will be back at the History Center sometime soon, and I will be sure to let you know who my new friends at the History Center are when I finally get to return there very soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps the show grow, and it means a lot to me. Leave a review. Tell me what you like. Reach out to me on the email at wfmpod at gmail.com. I've gotten some wonderful emails and DMs on Instagram lately that have been so kind, I cannot tell you how much they mean to me. Thank you for reaching out. You can do so as well on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. And you can share the show and all the things I post about it, including some hilarious photos from these parades 
on those socials. Go check them out. Thank you for doing so. If you also want to read more about this story, I will include a link to the Reflections article about it in the episode description, as well as more about Bob Morris's fascinating history in Orlando. I hope to talk about him more. I would love to meet him, honestly. If you know Bob Morris, give him my email. I would love to talk to him. He's a very, very interesting person. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading more about this story. I will be back next week with another new episode. Next week is the anniversary, the four-year anniversary of this show. I'm so excited to celebrate the last four years with you. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, and please, as always, drink more water. And you know what? I think it's best for the rest of the summer that we live our best kumquat sachet life. What do you think? See you next Monday. Have a great week.